are back there helping us get the lunch ready, right? At least there's more men in here than women, so that, that means like I'm not happy, but anyway, just kidding. Um, so yeah, we do have potluck today, if you didn't know, and you might want to join us to uh, fellowship and feast together. Today we're going to continue on in uh, the doctrine of sanctification in our study of the framework. So we have progressed into the period of Joshua and the judges, and we use this as a paradigm for teaching uh, the doctrine of sanctification. So uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but before we do, we always give believers opportunity to get in fellowship with the Lord, and we're going to talk about that doctrine some today as part of the doctrine of sanctification, so just be ready for that. Um, so in this time, we just give every believer a moment of privacy in their own soul to confess any known sin. First uh, John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from each unrighteousness. So the, the passage refers to any sin that we know of. Of course, all believers are not aware of all the sin they commit. But the ones that we are aware of that we commit, then we privately uh, acknowledge those things before the Lord. And he instantly... Uh, cleanses us of those things, restores us to fellowship, so we're abiding in him and walking in the light. So let's just take a moment in the privacy of our soul, prepare ourselves for uh, the exposition of his word. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and especially as we go through the Old Testament, which is full of imagery that uh, many times we learn as, as children just from, from uh, having our mother or grand, grandparents or father read through and tell us the stories of the Old Testament. It, it builds a wonderful picture in our mind's eye of the truth of history, and uh, from these things that happen in history, there are certain truths or doctrines that connect to these events, and because of that, we have very full imagination of, uh, of what the doctrines of scripture are so they're not they're not abstract they're not out there but they're concrete they're grounded in history in the lives in the old testament of the nation israel which teach us paul says in first corinthians 10 uh, truths that are applicable in the church age so help us to uh, make these connections in our mind's eye and carry these with us throughout our life no matter where we may be uh, where you may take us so that we're able to live lives that are pleasing unto you and learn to think your thoughts after you. Uh, thank you for each person here, individuals that you brought here today to hear your word. Uh, may we fellowship together and feast around the, the riches of your word, which is the truth which sets us free. And uh, we thank you that you have given us this so great salvation in Christ so that we can now delve into the riches of your word and have this enjoyment of truth and freedom as a part of our lives and uh, help us to uh, understand the principles uh, that we will study today and employ them in our lives and uh, be thankful for the fellow believers you've placed around us to encourage us in these things. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we are studying in the Old Testament what is known as the conquest and the settlement. And this is covered in the pages of the book of Joshua and early pages of the book of Judges. So having covered the events and gone through the battles, the victory at Jericho, defeated Ai, um, the longest day at Ihalan, and God's pronouncement of doom on the Jewish people at that time at Bochim, 
that they would not ultimately possess all the promised land and would not at that time in history uh, be able to enjoy blessing in the land. Um, it awaits, of course, for a greater than Joshua to complete the conquest and settlement, and that is really what the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth is all about. Um, but we're not that far in our study yet, so we just want to learn through the pages of Joshua and Judges and the conquest itself uh, the principles of one specific doctrine. And what did we say that doctrine was? Sanctification. Sanctification or just spiritual growth. This word just basically means what? This word just basically means, comes from the root words that always, always mean to set apart, okay? And, uh, of course, it's a struggle to be set apart, but God sets Israel apart, and then Israel's to be set apart in her experience from all the other nations, and uh, ultimately to be set apart in the kingdom to come. So we connect the doctrine of sanctification with um, the conquest and settlement, and we see that in the pages of Joshua, as they go into the land, to uh, Jericho and to the other battles, as they try to take the high land, we see that it's a struggle. So sanctification is a struggle. It's not something that happens easily. Um, the nation Israel, as real soldiers who went in and fought real battles, had to go and take the high ground, which was difficult. And the goal, of course, of Israel in the, those battles was to have total victory over those who were in the land. So that's what we want to envision when we envision the doctrine of sanctification, that we are ultimately aiming at total victory. And uh, last weekend, uh, we learned, of course, we, we had the passage read in Ephesians 6, where it talks about our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, now theirs was in the Old Testament. It was true war. Um, but we are not fighting against fellow humans to take some land that belongs to Christians. But our battle is in the heavenlies, right, against princes and principalities of darkness. So there's a spiritual conflict, and our enemies are... Of course, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and in chief, you know, the influences over the world and the flesh, which are Satan and the demons. So that's our spiritual conflict. That's our struggle to be sanctified. And uh, so we're using the Jewish people and their struggle in the Old Testament as like a paradigm for teaching us about our spiritual conflict that wages in the heavenlies. Okay. Now we said there are five aspects to the doctrine of sanctification, and I gave a little... Um, mnemonic device that might help some people. But what are these five uh, aspects of the doctrine of sanctification? Okay, we have the phases. We have the aim. We have the dimensions. So these are just titles or categories to help us recall. Phases, the aim, the dimensions, the means, and the enemies. And uh, I use uh, Padme. You know, she was a character in the Star Wars. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. You can, if you can come up with something better, I'd, I'd welcome it. But those are your five letters to work with. So um, some of you crossword people and word people can, can help me out, come up with a better uh, mnemonic device. But we studied these and uh, at least the phases last time. And what we like to do is say that there are three phases, Okay. And so I'm going to make a separate slide for this and uh, just going to put phases here. And let's outline these three. So what's our first phase? Position. Okay, our position. 
And positional sanctification is saying we have been sanctified. We, we are saints by calling. Uh, then phase two, let's just put a one there. Phase two is what? Experience. Okay, we'll put a little two there. Experience. Uh, the believer's experience. We are being sanctified, present tense. It's an ongoing process. Once we become a believer, we are in phase two, experiential sanctification. And then we didn't talk much about the third phase, but there is a third. What, what's the third phase? Ultimate, okay? And that's, of course, when we receive a resurrection body. We're not that to that portion in our study of uh, the doctrine of sanctification and all, all the biblical events, so we'll, leave, we'll really leave that till later. But these are the three basic uh, phases of, of sanctification, and we study these, first of all, for uh, the nation Israel. And we said that the nation Israel has these three phases. So first, positional sanctification, and Israel's position is defined by the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, 19, 21, 25, and, and goes on. Um, this covenant promised that nation a land, okay, a seed or offspring who would be born from that people who would rule the land and bring blessing to the whole world. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. And it established the place of Israel in the world and it's the basis for everything in the nation Israel's life. Okay? It defines their destiny. It defines where they're going. And it says that it can never be altered because this is up to, to God. Second, we said in the experiential sanctification of the nation Israel, this was defined by the Mosaic Covenant given at Mount Sinai. right? The Ten Commandments, which were the basis of the other 603 commandments or 613 commandments in all, these define their experience. In other words, what God wanted them to do. Uh, how God wanted the nation Israel to live. So if they obeyed, of course, then God would bless them in the land. If they disobeyed, then they would be cursed and exiled from the land. But this would not ever undo the Abrahamic covenant. In the end, ultimately, they would enjoy the land. So we see in the pages of Joshua, of course, that they had victories. We saw they, uh, when they obeyed, they, they had defeats. When they disobeyed, like with, at, at Ai with Achan and his sin. But God continued to work with the nation Israel. Um, as we saw in those pages, okay? And God today continues to work with the nation Israel, um, and no one can destroy the nation Israel because God made these promises to them in the Abrahamic covenant. That is, he established their position, and ultimately he will do it, okay? One day they'll have their ultimate sanctification, and that will take place uh, as, well, let's just say this is the new covenant because uh, he's going to replace the old Mosaic covenant with uh, the mosaic with, uh, with the new covenant okay but one day they're going to have the land the messiah will be ruling over the whole world he'll be dispensing blessing okay and those therefore are the three phases of sanctification for the nation israel and you can observe very easily that one of those is past right their abrahamic covenant is past okay uh, the second their experience which is still ongoing now um is present, okay, and one is future. They're not there yet, but it's the new covenant. And Christ, what did he do on the cross is he ratified the new covenant, okay, making those blessings available, although they won't be fulfilled to the nation Israel until, of course, they believe, okay, and ask him to come back, okay. So um, that's how you look at the phases of sanctification for the nation Israel. Now, when you come to the church, we also have these three phases of sanctification. So first we have, we have positional sanctification, um, 
Some people call these identification truths, okay, ITs, okay, identification truths. This is the idea that we are saints by calling, okay. Certain segments of Christianity or Christendom uh, refer to saints to only a special class of believers, okay, or whatever. Certain really holy believers or people who do three miracles and stuff, stuff like that. But like in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, all believers, once they believe, they are saints by calling. That's what God calls them, okay? Um, and that word, of course, just means set apart. Saints means set apart or holy ones, okay? We're also said to have been sanctified, already been sanctified, past tense, same verse. Other passages say we are choice vessels. They say we've been adopted. They say we're children of God. We've been redeemed. We are reconciled, and so forth and so on. These are all positional or identification truths that describe our positional uh, sanctification. So we, uh, this establishes our basis in the plan of God, okay, our position with God. And this is the basis for everything else in our lives, okay? And it also, of course, defines our destiny, and it says that it can't be altered, okay? No one can ever alter the believer's destiny. I mean, once you're a child of God, you are a child of God, period. Uh, once you have eternal life, you have eternal life, period, okay? Once you're a choice vessel, you have a choice, you're a choice vessel, period. Once you're a saint, you're a, a saint, period. That's just the way it is. Nothing's going to change that. We also, though, have a second phase, just like the nation Israel had, and that is our experiential sanctification, and it's not defined by the Mosaic Covenant, but it's defined by the law of Christ, the law of Christ, which is used uh, two or three times in the New Testament, that exact terminology is used. But the law of Christ defines what we as Christians are to obey, okay, how we are to live. And, of course, if we obey, we'll be blessed. If we disobey, uh, we'll be disciplined, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll suffer mental anguish and frustration and stress. And so we have, because of our experience, um, because we still you know, sin, because we still disobey, we have an up and down experience in the Christian life, okay? Which is why, you know, on a day-by-day basis, because we fail, we can become very frustrated and depressed because we're failing. But that's why we always have to go back and look at our position, right? our identification truth, to remember how God looks at us because otherwise we'll just have a roller, lo- roller coaster Christian life, okay? Finally, uh, third, there's ultimate sanctification for, for the believer, and that's when we get resurrected, right? That's the resurrection body. At that point, our experience will line up with our position such that we will never sin again, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. That's how we can be with the Lord forever, right? Because we'll never sin again will be in line or in harmony with him. So those are the phases of sanctification. Very important to um, remember and recall and understand and distinguish posi- between your position and your experience. Because in this life, your experience is not always lining up with the fact that you are a saint or you know, a choice vessel because you're sinning. Okay, but this is who you are. Okay, your position, your experience is how you're living. That doesn't change who you are. Okay? And ultimately, in the end, you'll be resurrected, and then you'll, your position and your experience will line up. That's a good thing. So today we come to the next part of these uh, doctrines of sanctification, the aspects, and we're going to go to the aim, the aim of sanctification. So this is going to be within the experience. Okay, So when we look at it in terms of this, when we talk about the aim... 
We're not interested here in our position, okay? And we're not interested in our ultimate place in the resurrection body. We're only talking about this, our experience. And within our experience, what is the aim? What are we trying to accomplish in sanctification? What is the goal? Okay, what is the goal? Well, the New Testament lays it out pretty clearly that, and my parents are texting me, and they're out of the country, so they don't know what time it is right now. (sighs) I can't control these things. I know they just, I love them, I love them. I know they love me. That's a good, okay, and hopefully that'll be the end of that. Um, What is the aim? You know, what are we trying to accomplish in our daily experience of sanctification? Well, um, the New Testament says pretty clearly, basically, to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, your whole person. Okay, it's not dividing. This is not a study on the parts of man, the constitution of man, or anything. It's it's simply to say the totality of your being, right? To love him with the totality of your being. Okay, now that may not turn you on, uh, but um, that's the aim. This is what you're you're going for. Okay, now. <clears throat> To, to think about this, we have to think correctly about one specific word in here that's become quite mushy in our world, and that's the word love. Um, the word love can have a mushy meaning, but what does it mean to love the Lord your God? Does it mean to have a mushy, you know, ooey-gooey feeling about God? No, it has nothing to do with that. First um, John teaches us that the one who loves me is the one who does what? Keeps my commandments, obeys my commandments, Right? So to love God is to keep his commandments. I say the same thing to my children. I think most parents understand love in this context when they have children. They say, well, look, if you love me, son or daughter, you're going to obey what I say. You know, I don't care how you feel. Okay, that's irrelevant. I told you to do this, and you didn't do it. Therefore, you're showing me that you don't love me. Okay, you don't uh, obey. Okay, uh, so that's the aim of sanctification is to learn to obey, or put another way, learn loyalty to God. Learn loyalty to God. Loyalty is a good synonym for love when you're talking about love for God. Um, it doesn't exhaust other contexts where love is used, okay? but it does exhaust what it means to love God. In other words, it just, this is not the meaning when it says, husbands love your wives. Uh, that's not... Yes, you be loyal to her, but that's not the extent of the meaning. Uh, It means more than that. It means giving yourself to someone. So the aim of sanctification, though, when it comes to us and God in sanctification is to learn loyalty to God. Now, this is interesting because we might think because of our daily struggles with sin that the aim of sanctification is to overcome sin, overcome our personal sin patterns. But the goal of sanctification is not to stop sinning, okay? Now, some people think it is, but how could we prove that it's actually not? Well, first of all, we could think back to the Garden of Eden, okay, when it came fresh from the hand of God. And there is Adam, and he had crafted Eve out of the side of Adam and placed the two back together in marriage. Now, in this context, on the sixth day, when this man and woman were put together, question, was everything very good? Was there any sin? 
Was there any pain? Was there any suffering? So, no, there wasn't. So did Adam and Eve have to overcome sin in that context? No, because there was no sin. Yet, did Adam and Eve have to learn loyalty to God? Yes, they did. So the aim of sanctification is to learn obedience to God, learn loyalty to him, even in a sinless environment. Okay? So Adam and Eve, perfect beings, still had to be sanctified. Now you may be doubting that right now, but let's look at another test case. Okay? And this is the test case that I had read for the scripture reading that Dr. Eden read, and that is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And this is the test of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's deal with him. Did the Lord Jesus Christ in the incarnation through the Virgin Mary, did he have a sinful nature? No. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right, who overshadowed Mary so that he had no sinful nature. Now, did he ever commit personal sin in his life? No. He says he was tempted in everything that we were tempted, but without sin. So he's the perfect man without spot or blemish, and yet... If you look at Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8, verse 5, or 5, verse 8, sorry, did I say 8? 5, verse 8, excuse me. Here's the perfect Son of God, born of Mary, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 5, 8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, the structure is interesting, actually, in the Greek, because it says, although he was a son, and you say, well, yeah, sons have to learn, learn obedience, so why do you say, although he was a son, or even though he was a son? Because by the time Hebrews is written, sonship is equated with God. You might as well read this, even though he was God. Even though he was God, he's the second person of the Trinity, he learned obedience as the second person of the Trinity from the things which he suffered. Isn't it interesting that it says that, that Jesus learned obedience? I mean, the guy was born of a virgin. He had no sin nature. He grew to an adult. He was tempted in all things as we without sin. He went to the cross. He died for our sin. And God is saying here that during that time from his incarnation to his death, he had to learn obedience or he learned obedience to the Father. So here's a guy who is perfect, and yet he had to learn in his experience to be sanctified even when he was without sin. Okay, so the aim of sanctification then, from the beginning of history all the way to the end, is always the same, even when there's no sin nature present, is to learn loyalty to God. Okay, then what is, how does sin get involved in this, or what's the relationship of sin to our sanctification? It's a byproduct of our learning loyalty to God, which is the aim. In other words, If we learn loyalty to God, then as a byproduct of that, what will we do? We will overcome sin, okay? But we're not aiming to overcome sin. That's not the goal. The goal is learn loyalty to God. As a byproduct, see that sin in your life uh, goes away to some extent, okay? So the aim of sanctification is not to overcome sin. We also want to point out it's not some other things, okay? It's not to live a moral life. Okay, that's not what we're aiming for. Okay? Uh, yes, again, they're somewhat related. As you learn loyalty to God, what happens? You, as a byproduct, you live a more moral life. But your aim is not to live a moral life. 
Your aim is what? Learn loyalty to God. Okay? So uh, here's another one. Is the aim of sanctification to have a wonderful ex- uh, spiritual experience? Okay? There is a wonderful sense of peace and, and fellowship with God, undeniable, when we meet the aim of sanctification, which is loyalty to God. But see, again, that's a byproduct. That's a byproduct. Okay? A blessing here, a blessing there, but, you know, to sit and demand that, you know, every single week in my Christian life I've got to have a wonderful experience in the Lord or something like that is wrong. Okay? Did Jesus have a very wonderful experience in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, all his friends left him, you know, they're, they're, they're asleep, and then, then they come to arrest him, and they all, all his friends run away. I mean, that could, <laughs> I, that's not having a very good day, okay? So sanctification can proceed in advance, whether it's a good day or a bad day. That's not the issue, okay? Uh, having good days or bless, uh, wonderful spiritual experiences is not the aim of, the sanct, of sanctification. Some other things. Uh, the aim of sanctification is not having a good reputation before people. Okay? That's not the aim. Sometimes, um, sometimes this can be confusing because sometimes you're, 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 you're not going to have a good reputation with people just because you are being sanctified. <laughs> or you'll be misunderstood by a lot of people because you're being sanctified. Okay? Was Jesus understood, for, for example, was Jesus understood by his brothers and sisters prior to his death and resurrection? No, we don't read of one of his brothers and sisters ever coming to Christ and believing in him until after he dies. Okay. Was that due to the fact that Jesus for 30 some odd years didn't live the Christian life? That he had a sorry witness or something like that? See, no. See, you can be having a great witness and other people don't understand you or the message of your life. And so you're totally misunderstood. So having a good reputation with people is not the aim of, the Christian, uh, of sancti- sanctification or the Christian way of life. So... Um, the issue then is what? Again, the issue is love the Lord your God, which is to learn loyalty to God, okay, through his word, okay? And that's, that's what we emphasize over and over is the word of God. You learn loyalty to God through his word because you can't grow apart from the word of God, okay? Now, having said that, okay, what sanctification is, the aim, what it is, and what it is not, why is it so critical that here in Hebrews 5, 8, that the Lord... Jesus Christ, learn obedience. Because of another verse, chapter 4, verse 14, just before this, chapter 4, verse 14. So let's look at this. And let's, um, while we do this, let's just make this little diagram so we can tuck it away. Here is just a little easy diagram. Remember what the aim is. What's my aim? I'm learning loyalty to God. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. Adam did that in his unfallen body. And we have to do that in fallen bodies. So sin's an impediment. It gets in the way, but it's not the aim to get rid of it. Okay? That's just byproducts. Now, here is why it's critical that the Lord learn obedience in Hebrews 4.14. It says of him, Since then we have a great high priest, talking about Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, of course. Now, Jesus is our high priest, okay? 
and he's our high priest. The priest went to God on behalf of the people. He goes to God on behalf of us. Why is he qualified to do that? Why is he qualified to be our mediator? Because it says he was tempted in all things as we. He is able to sympathize with us on our weaknesses. He came down here. This is what it means. He came down here in the incarnation. And he took to himself true humanity. And he was tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted in. And he went through it all. All the struggles of living in a, solid, a, a, a messed up world. Okay? And he knows what you're going through. That makes him fit as our high priest to take our needs and so forth to the Father. Okay? Now, think about this in contrast to what the Lord Jesus Christ did here. In contrast to, say, Allah or the Muslim. The Muslim God, Allah. Did Allah ever come down here to earth in an incarnation and walk around as a human being? Do they have any such thing as an incarnation? Of Allah, no. Allah was not tempted in all things as we. Allah never learned obedience. Uh, he doesn't know what it's like to come down here and walk around us and all this crud. Okay, But see, our God knows. Because in the incarnation, he took to himself true humanity and he walked around amongst us. Now, as he did that, okay, which qualifies him to be our high priest... Think of the pressure he faced in order to be successful, okay, and learn loyalty to God and never sin, okay? He had to be tempted in all things as we, right? He had to face Satan directly in the temptations, okay? Eventually, he went to the cross. He died for our sins, and through that, he generated a perfect righteousness, a perfect righteousness that would be imputed or credited to our account whenever we believe, okay? So think about the pressure that he was under, okay? Think about how difficult it is for you and me when we are missing the aim of sanctification and we're thinking, I've got to stop this sin in my life and we're trying to go after sin in our life and we're trying to suppress sin in our life and what do we do? We just sin more. You see? This is the problem. And Romans 7 says this. If you aim to defeat sin in your life, you will only do one thing. Sin more. <laughs> so... Um, here he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, under so much pressure to learn loyalty to God and remain loyal to him. He did this for 30 years plus under all the temptations that we have to face. And I think the only way we can, we can imagine that kind of pressure, because you and I, whenever we get the pressure to sin, we may hold out for a while, but then what? It's like a balloon that's blowing up, and, and we're this balloon, and, and what? We feel like, well, I'm going to pop, I'm going to pop, I'm going to pop. So finally we just pop the balloon. <sighs> Okay, and it's over, and we start all over at ground zero, blowing up again as a balloon, right? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, think of this. Never popped a balloon, okay? Never popped a balloon. Maybe you can think of it like some professions that are extremely stressful, something like the presidency of the United States. I mean, you watch these guys for I mean, it wouldn't be fun to be the president. I mean, you may have all the right principles for governing and administration and, and all of that, but do you want to be the president? Because that job is not a fun job. That job is a hard job, and you watch these, these guys that get in office, and then four years later you look at them. I mean, you can tell that four years was the hardest four years of their entire life, okay? And everybody criticizing you every single day in the media around the world. I mean, can you imagine being the president of the United States? That's a highly stressful job, okay? Now, you can only do that for a little while <laughs> as president. Just think of the Lord Jesus Christ and the responsibility that he had laid on his shoulders, Okay? 
Think of how tired he got. Okay? The whole issue with the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just like governing a nation for four or eight years. Okay? But the whole issue of whether there will be an actual historical righteousness that could be imputed to people's account is resting on him and him alone. And whether he's successful or not. Because if he sins, if he blows it, and he doesn't learn loyalty to God, he doesn't maintain loyalty to God, and he, he falters, that's it, guys. The game is over. History is finished. There is no such thing as anyone going to heaven. It is over. So think of the pressure that was on his shoulders, see? Now maybe we can imagine, you know, the pressure, you know, when he's in the garden, you know, of Gethsemane and what's going on if he drops the ball, okay? So the pressure was on him during his entire life to continue to learn obedience all the way up to the point of the cross, and he was learning what it meant to be loyal to God, what it meant to submit to the Father's authority, okay? And he was successful, okay? Fortunately, he did it, right? And the righteousness then that he generated in his life is the righteousness that when you believe and I believe, he imputes to our account, okay? So that we are, have our position, let's go back to that, so that we have what? We have our position with God, those identity truths, okay? His historic righteousness is the basis and ground for all of that. Okay, so summing up the aim of sanctification, it can't be overcoming sin because Adam, before he sinned, before there was any sin, he still had to learn obedience. Jesus didn't have any sin in his incarnation, and he had to learn obedience. So sin, what is sin? Well, it's an impediment. It gets in the way, it slows things down, it's troublesome, and so forth. But it's not the main thing you're trying to overcome. Okay, you're trying to learn loyalty to God, as you do that, what? Then sin is worked out in your life as a byproduct, okay? The problem with most of us is we're frustrated with sin, so we think that's what we have to solve, okay? No, the pro- the pro- that, is the, that is the problem, but what we need to work out is keep learning loyalty to God. Okay, let's go to the next point, okay? And we'll do one more point today. We've done the, f- the phases, okay? And there's three phases, your position, okay? your experience, and ultimate. Then we went to the aim, okay, and the aim deals specifically with part of my experience and the experience of the Christian way of life. And now we want to deal with another one that's also in the realm of our experience, okay, our experiential sanctification, and these are the dimensions. The dimensions of sanctification, okay? There are two, okay? The existential present, and I'll define these, oops, misspelled, the existential present and long-term growth, okay, these are very helpful to distinguish as you'll see, okay, Um, the existential present, what is this, okay, it's just a moment by moment Christian daily life, I mean, just any given moment in your life, okay, Um, The long-term growth isn't just looking at your life as one moment, like picture frame by picture frame, but it's looking at your Christian life over the long haul, okay? 10 years, 20 years, I've been a Christian 30 years, I've been a Christian 60 years, okay? It's looking at that whole picture. So what I'm doing is I'm distinguishing between these two dimensions of our sanctification so that we don't get ourselves stuck, okay? These are not really the same thing. But if you get stuck on just one of these things as being the whole Christian life, you, you'll be confused. So there's a difference between looking at your life at any given moment, okay, as a, as a frame, in a, a picture, okay, and looking at your long-term growth over a period of time, okay? 
Because at any given moment, okay, you may be obeying or you may be disobeying the Lord, okay? And when you're disobeying the Lord, of course, you're not walking by faith. You're not, you're not trusting him, okay? And in these moment-by-moment experiences, you know, you're up in obedience, you're down, okay? And this is, this is like back and forth all day long, okay? Up, down, up, down, up, down. Now, if you look at just that aspect, which is the existential, moment-by-moment, moment, you could get very frustrated. I'm successful, now I fail. Success fails. So you, you just, and I'm sure you, see, you know this in your own life, okay? But if you look, if you stop and you say, okay, I can see how frustrating that is. But if I look at my life over the long haul, look back over my Christian life, I say, oh, okay, well, there's been growth. I mean, because here, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, I was less mature. Now I'm over here and I'm more mature, okay? And I can see that, okay? So the long-term growth, of course, that takes time, okay? Lots of time, Okay. Years and years of time because there's got to be lots of opportunities in the existential present, moment-by-moment decisions that lead up to and contribute to the long-term growth, okay? So you can see that the two are related. They're not totally disconnected, okay? But you don't want to get fixated on just one or just the other, okay? Or it'll be a detriment, okay? You keep the two in in balance, okay? So you can think of it like uh, if we were to graph it over time, and uh, growth, spiritual growth, okay? And uh, let's say this is the day you became a Christian, okay? You can't grow before that. Uh, so, you know, the experience, you know, it's like this, you know. All right? Now, you can take one day, okay? And you can look at one day and say, oh, today's a blessed day, I'm going up, okay? But if you looked at another day, oh, not so blessed, going down, see? So if you focus on just those days, it's just like looking at the stock market, right? If your stock's going down, like, ah! You know, you're, you're freaking out, okay? But then it's going up another day. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really happy, right? So you can look at your life like that, moment by moment, and you're either, ah, or you're, oh, this is great. Uh, but the only way to really have balance is to go back and look at a frame of time, a long period of time, and say, oh, okay, well, things may be sour today, or let's say here, sour today, but what's the trend? Well, there's an upper trend. See, I've grown spiritually over time and that's how you want to keep these two in balance there's not just a day-by-day existential present okay there's also long term now when the bible is talking about the existential present it's going to use terms like this okay you're either in fellowship or you're out of fellowship you're either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness you're filled by the spirit or you're not filled by the spirit you're walking by the spirit or you're not walking by the spirit you're abiding in him or you're not abiding in him See, those are all descriptions of the moment-by-moment moment existential dimension of sanctification, okay? But again, that's not the only dimension of, of sanctification because, you know, some Christians have committed the error of reductionism, meaning you reduce something down to its least common denominator, and they've boiled sanctification down to whether you're in fellowship or out of fellowship, okay? And that's not right. It's, it's short-sighted, so... Take, for example, something like uh, 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 is where it sketches the requirements for being an elder. Okay? In that passage, it says that you should not uh, appoint a neophyte to the office of elder. Okay? In other words, not a new believer. Okay? Now, is that saying that all new believers are out of fellowship? No, in fact, when you believe, you're automatically in fellowship at that point in time. Okay? So, obviously, there's something more, there's some other dimension than just the existential present, because a new believer can't be an elder. Well, what's the difference between an elder and a, a neophyte? It's not fellowship or out of fellowship. 
It's maturity. It's maturity. It has to do with, and that's talking about long-term growth, right? That's the long-term growth. Um, now, the moment we trust in the Lord for salvation, whether you're five or you were 55, whenever you believe the gospel, okay, you are in fellowship. Here's a question. Does that mean you're spiritual? Look at, like, take a, look at um, 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 2. Second Corinthians two. Or I'm sorry, First Corinthians. What's wrong with me? <sighs> Something's happening in my age. Okay. I know everybody's like, you're not old. I know, but I'm, once you get forty, you know, you remember, you start losing your eyesight and you start losing your memory. In fact, I was taught all the Bible verses you'll ever memorize are pretty much before you're forty. So when I was 34, somebody said, memorize a lot of Bible verses before you're 40. And they were like 65 or 70 at the time, and they said, when I'm teaching in lessons, and I'll just quote verses or whatever, they're always the ones I learned before I was 40. <laughs> um, now, there are four men in here, and one of them is the spiritual man, okay, and he is described in uh, verse 15, okay? Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. He's talking about the spiritual man having the mind of Christ. Okay, the spiritual man has the mind of Christ. Now, does a brand new believer who is in fellowship with the Lord, just became a believer, does he have the mind of Christ? Meaning, does he know the Old and New Testament? That's the mind of Christ in this passage. No, the, the brand new believer doesn't know that. <laughs> He's, it's good that he knows that Christ died for him and rose again. Okay, and right now that's enough. That's great. That's fantastic. But he doesn't have the mind of Christ, see? He's not spiritual in that sense. Take Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Here's another one. Uh, see, being in fellowship doesn't mean you're spiritual. That's what I'm trying to point out. Okay? The terminology in the New Testament doesn't meet that yet, at least. Spiritual is related more to uh, maturity, the long-term growth. And that's why it's important. To, I'm just trying to make these distinctions, existential and long-term. So Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So here's a believer who's fallen into some sin pattern. It says those who are spiritual, the one who's spiritual is to restore him. Now, do you think that's a brand-new believer? Someone who just believed the gospel, you know? They're, the, they're fit. They're qualified to help uh, another believer who's fallen into a sin pattern get out of it? No. No, the one who's spiritual is somebody who's a mature believer. Okay? Not a brand new believer. The fellowship issue is not an issue here. This is a long-term growth. The spiritual is being used in the sense of somebody who is mature. Okay? So it takes a few years. Uh, in Corinthians, Paul basically says about five years to be under the teaching of the word to where you should definitely be mature. Okay? But it doesn't, it doesn't take five years to get in and out of fellowship. It takes a moment of time to get in fellowship or out of fellowship. But you can see then that these two do relate over time, as I've shown you from the graph here. On the one hand, there's the ups and downs of being in fellowship and out of fellowship. And as this takes place, hopefully, what are you doing? You're taking in the Word of God. And there's growth that takes place over time, hopefully in an upward trend. But, of course, there are times in this trend when, you know, you're out of it. And you stay out of it, and you're not taking in the Word, and you're going downward for a period of time. 
Okay, so it's not always constant upward growth. That's something we want to point out. Okay, it's not always constant upward growth because there are, you know, the slumps, right? The slumps. So Peter's uh, Peter's a great example of this in the New Testament. Up to the last moments before the cross, uh, this guy is denying that he ever knew him, right? And we can identify with that at some parts in our life. And uh, yet, how long had this guy been with the Lord? Uh, so a few years now, okay? Now, had he grown spiritually any? Well, yeah, he's grown. But did he still have lapses in faith? Did he still doubt? Yeah, he did, okay? So the balance that we're trying to get here is that growth over time doesn't immunize you to sin, okay? It does help curb sin, okay? But you're still going to sin. Uh, and growth takes, it just takes time. Okay, this is why practically in the Christian life, you know, amongst one another, amongst ourselves as fellow Christians, we have to be patient with people, okay? We're not all on the same growth program. We're not all on the same growth chart. We're not the same place on the chart, okay? Some of us grow faster, some of us grow slower, and we can't get too condemnatory of people, okay? You know, what's wrong with you? I mean, haven't you learned this stuff yet? What's wrong? I told you this, you know? Um, you know, how long did it take the apostles, we're studying the Gospel of Luke on Wednesdays, how long did it take the apostles to even realize who Jesus really was? Like over two years. Over two years. You mean, what, two years and they're walking around with the guy, the guy's teaching every single day, the guy's doing miracles every single day, and you tell me it's taking over two years for them to finally learn who he is? Yeah, that's right. And we in the church, you know, 2,000 years, we preach who he is every Sunday. So we're like, what? How could they not know who he was? But they didn't know, okay? They had to figure it out, okay? took over two years. Then they finally learn who he is, and he brings up a new question. He says, now, this is what I've come to do. And they're like, what? Nah, you're not going to the cross. No way. We're not going to let that happen. They didn't get it, okay? And it comes all the way to the cross, and they still hadn't learned it. They're shocked. I mean, they're surprised. The resurrection, what's that? Huh? He's not back. You saw a ghost or something, huh? They, they don't believe it, okay? So another year, they would have to learn why he's going to the cross, and they still didn't figure it all out. So, you know, we can't come along to people and say, you know, hey, what's wrong with you? I mean, why aren't you up here with me in my degree of sanctification? Why are you way over there still? Uh, don't do that to people, okay? And don't do that in your mind to people, okay? Just listen to them. I've learned listen to them. Give them room to grow, okay? If they're in the Word here, okay, they'll grow, okay? Just give them time. If they, yes, if they totally bug out and they're not in the word, then obviously they're not going to be growing. We got that. And that, that's a problem. Okay, that is a problem. Okay. But, of course, we have a lot of Christians who say, well, we don't need to go hear sound doctrine anymore. We don't even need to fellowship with one another. We don't even need to do that. Okay. In fact, that was an article that someone brought up to me about two months ago. Somewhere on the Internet is digital church. You know? So the, the, the new vision for the church is no more buildings. Everybody just sits at home in their pajamas and uh, drinks their coffee and, and watches by live stream, okay? I'm not opposed to live stream. I mean, there are times in our life when we can't be here to fellowship. Whether it may be physical because we've gotten older and we need to maintain our spirituality, right? So the only thing we can do, and we're grateful that we have the live stream, right, for that, right? Or, or you're sick or you're on vacation or, or whatever, okay? There are times, I understand, okay? But ultimately, the primary place where growth takes place is not just sitting on our couch watching live stream. <laughs> but it's joining in fellowship with other believers. Otherwise, Hebrews uh, wouldn't say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. There's something about body growth that doesn't happen in, in couch growth, okay? Okay? 
so the primary place he wants us to grow is, is in uh, fellowship with one another around the word, okay? But I understand there's some good things for a live stream, but don't let it, you know, don't let it control your life, okay? But um, so we have, anyway, in the dimensions two, right? Existential present, long term. Don't focus on one with, to the uh, detriment of the other, Okay, because they're both involved. Okay, you may be having a bad day, and a lot of us, that's our problem. We have bad days. Tomorrow's Monday, by the way. Okay, so just get ready. Um, but you want to, so tomorrow is the day when you're going to go back to the long-term growth and go, okay, well, where was I eight years ago? Where was I, you know, four years ago? And where am I now? Okay. All right. So let's put together everything that we've learned about sanctification so far in just one picture in one paragraph. Okay. We have our positional sanctification. This is who you are, according to God. You believed in Christ. You have been sanctified. You are a saint. Nothing can ever change that. Sin in your life can't change that. Satan can't change that. You can't change that. Okay? This position that you have is the basis for everything else in your entire life. Okay? We call these identification truths. Okay? Then we have our experiential sanctification. And this is where he wants you to live. It describes what he wants you to do. It's the law of Christ. The law of Christ. And the aim in, in this time, in our experience, is to learn loyalty. Learn loyalty to God, right? This is the aim during this time period in your life. We do this through his word, okay? The word of God is at the center of this, okay? So we study the word, we take in the word daily, and in our day-to-day life, we have uh, two dimensions. Don't worry, we're going to talk about the spirit and all that stuff, too. It's just, there's a lot, and you can't put it all out here at once. So don't think I'm cutting out things, okay? I'm just trying to get these things across so I can build on these things. Uh, The word of God is central to this, okay? Take it in daily, okay? Now, Within this, as you go about your aim in life, learning to learn law, aiming to learn loyalty to God, there are two dimensions uh, in your everyday experience. The moment by moment or existential present, right, which is up and down. You're in fellowship, you're out of fellowship. I'm walking by the Spirit or I'm not. I'm living by faith or I'm not. That's moment by moment. But don't get fixated on that because there's another dimension, right, the long-term growth. How much have I grown over the last two years? Just stop. You ought to just stop and ask yourself every once in a while. Do a spiritual evaluation. Don't ask yourself, how am I doing today? Because you're probably not doing so hot. Okay, but ask yourself, how am I doing over the last two years? How am I doing over the last five years? Okay, and um, then you can have some balance. Okay, so next time what we're going to do is we're going to go to the next uh, uh, aspect, and that is the means Okay, in other words, how does this take place? Okay, how does the growth happen? Okay, there's more to it. So sanctification is very rich. Okay, it's a very full doctrine, and we want as much of it as we can get because, you know what, this is where we, most of us live our lives all the time. Okay, in the experiential sanctification. So we need, we all need help here. Okay, and even if we've been over this a hundred times, what? We need to go over it a hundred and one times. Okay, because unless you're in your resurrection body amongst us here, you're not done. God's not done with you. Okay, he has something for you here, and there's still more training he has to put you through because he's fitting you for something in the future. 
and you're not ready yet if you're here with us today, okay? All right, so we're gonna pray, and then I'm also just gonna pray for the food if you don't mind, so even if you're not gonna go to potluck, I'll pray for your meal too if you don't mind, and uh, you can just go and then eat wherever. Um, but if you want to, join us back here in a few moments, and we'll, we'll fellowship together. Uh, and also, uh, remember one of our graduates, so in the Celebrate Her. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to think about these things and to realize you have, you have a plan for sanctification. It's not that we come up with the ideas for how to grow spiritually. It's that you've, you've already laid these things out there, and we need to reflect on them. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will take these things seriously. Look at the life of the nation Israel. Also look at our own lives. Uh, reflect on these things. Look at the scriptures as they describe Israel's life of sanctification. Look at the church and how you've described it there. See that there's these wonderful parallels. We have a lot to learn when we read these stories. We're not just reading stories. There's doctrine embedded in these stories. It's calling out to us that we will take these and instill these in our lives and employ these principles and live by them daily. Uh, we thank you that you've given us everything that's necessary for a life of godliness. This, the scriptures are totally sufficient and uh, everything you've provided there, thereby. So we ask to also that you bless the food that we're to partake of here in a moment. Uh, we know we don't live on bread alone, but we know that we need it in order to be sustained, to continue going on, to have the energy we need uh, to do the good deeds which you have laid ahead of us, that we may walk into them and uh, help us to encourage one another and encourage the, the graduate today and uh, what you have for her life, the plans that you have for her. And uh, we thank you for that and the success that she's had so far, as well as all of our success and where we are and uh, in your eyes. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.